Welcome, welcome this morning to Central Baptist Church here in Livingston, Texas. I am so excited that each and every one of y'all are here worshiping together. God has big things planned for you in this worship service. Again, we are all here to both worship and hear from the Lord, so I'm thankful that we get to do that together. If you're a guest here this morning with us, I want to say 
Thank you for being here. And also, I want to direct your attention to the seat backs in front of you. There are visitor cards where you can fill out some basic information so that um, we can follow up with you and get to know how we can serve you and help you get plugged in here in the life of our church. Um, if you're looking for something like a Bible study to get involved in or uh, a ministry to be plugged in and serving, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can put that information on that card. That same card uh, serves for both uh, visitors and members. If you have prayer requests that you'd like us to be uh, joining with you in prayer, about, please add those to those cards, and you can put those uh, as you leave this morning at all the exits. There are spots to put those as well. If you came this morning ready to uh, give, if you came prepared with your offering, uh, you can use the envelopes and the seat backs to drop those in the same place as you leave. I want to say thank you again, and as we continue to worship, I want to remind us that this service is, is the Lord's um, opportunity to bring his people together and speak into the life of this church. And so at the end of the service, at the conclusion of pastor's message, there's going to be a time of response. And this is for, uh, if you're in this room and you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that could be your opportunity to respond in, in obedience and salvation. This could also be uh, an opportunity for anyone in the room who's never been baptized and followed the Lord in obedience in that way, uh, or anything that you feel the Lord leading you to respond. That time is for you to come forward and pray with Pastor Sonny. Um, we also have others who will be available to pray with you if needed. Um, we'd love to be able to come alongside you in that time. So uh, just a reminder that that's what our time of response is about. With that in mind, let's continue and uh, get our hearts ready to continue to praise the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, we praise you for uh, how your name is powerful and God, how the mention of your name, the enemy fears and trembles, God. We thank you that we have access to that power and that confidence in you, God, and only in you. It's not from ourselves. It's not from anything that we can do or our own righteousness or holiness, but God, we wholly depend on you. We really do, Lord. So as we sing to you, I pray that you would, uh, God, that you would just love the praises and the songs of your children, God, because that's what we're bringing you this morning. Lord, be glorified. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
behalf. God, thank you for the gift of your blood. We sing to you. The head that once was crowned.
in vain was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain cause our God has robbed the as we hear from you, soften our hearts and prepare us to hear your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated, but what I want to do is encourage any of you that want to come and join me here at the front, we're going to pray. And if you know, if we've been following along, and I hope you have been, uh, every day we have uh, been praying and we have been looking at prayer points in scripture uh, every day for the last 21 days. Actually, day is, today is 21. So today is, <clears throat> excuse me, our last day in our prayer guide. But here is my prayer, is that central that we would become a praying church, that we would not be looking at a prayer guide for 21 days and on day 22 it all ends. No, what God wants us and wants out of our lives is he wants passionate, he wants dependent, he wants desperate prayer on behalf of his people towards him. Praying for the same things, praying to the same God in a way that is desperate and dependent, that God would do a great work among us a very great gospel work among us. I want to read for us just that passage of scripture that we're looking at today, and then we're going to pray <clears throat> here in our prayer guide this morning. Here's mine that I have been using, <clears throat> excuse me, the last few days, the last two or three weeks. <clears throat> 
And this is what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica when he writes to them. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread, um, may speed ahead rather, and be honored as happened among you. Paul knew that in the church in Thessalonica, uh, the gospel had transformed and changed the lives of the people there. People had come out of pagan lifestyles. They'd come out of very hyper-religious lifestyles such as being Jews, and they had embraced Jesus as their Messiah. It was a complex group of people that had come together and had come together to worship the same Lord, the same God, and were trying their best to understand how God wanted them to live their lives in a righteous and a holy way. God was doing a work in them. He was bringing about the light of Jesus in that particular community, in that particular town. And he saw that in them, and it brought him joy, and it brought him incredible excitement, and he prayed that that would continue to follow him, that the word would continue to boldly be proclaimed in the communities that God sent the Apostle Paul. This morning we're praying for the gospel to spread throughout our nation and our world. You know, we want to be a shining light in this community. And you've heard me say it before, it's not my phrase, and I'm not going to take credit for it, Okay. But the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. Central, we got to be healthy. In the sense that we need to be a church that where the Spirit of God is moving and working. And I believe he is. I believe he has been. He's going to continue to do that work, both now in our present and into our future. But let's pray for the gospel to spread here in our community, in our nation, and around the world. Let's ask God to open hearts and minds to those who hear it. Let's pray that they would respond in faith and that a wave of salvation would cover, let's start with this, Livingston, in Polk County and this part of East Texas and the nation and the world. Let's pray specifically for those that you know who are lost. I want you to be thinking about the names of people as we pray, of people that you want God to save. Talk to the Lord by name and mention those names to him. Ask God to be merciful and bring them to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray that this year in the life of Central, we would see so many come to faith in Jesus. Let's pray that so many would be baptized in the life of this church in this particular calendar year. Won't you join me in prayer as we pray for these things? God, we come to you humbly because we know and understand you're a God who listens and hears somehow, some way. You have your ears attentive to us this morning. And at the same time, there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world crying out to you. There are maybe millions of people crying out to you at this very hour. Some are enslaved. Some are in bondage. Some are suffering at the uh, bedsides of people that, Lord, are suffering. Some are suffering from other things going on in their lives. Some are simply just praying to you. There are churches across our time zone, even as we speak, that are worshiping you and praying and singing songs and giving and serving. And Lord, side by side, Lord, trying to and attempting to worship you in the same way we are this morning. God, we're just taking our turn. For Lord, all around the world and all around the globe, there have been voices that have been lifting up their, their voices to you in different languages, all across our planet. And here we are taking our turn in this time zone, and we're worshiping you, the same God 
who has created all of the heavens and the earth. You are so good. You are so holy. You are so righteous in every way. We look around us. We look internally in our lives and in our hearts. We see around our community. We see, Lord, around our world, and we see the brokenness. We see people that are far from you. We see people, Lord, that are so far and disconnected from you. They don't understand what they're missing. Lord, they don't understand what purpose and meaning life is all about. And they have not discovered you. They have not found you. They don't understand who you are. And they don't understand why they are the way they are. So many going down destructive paths. So many broken homes. So many broken families. So many, Lord, sacrificing their heart and their soul and all of eternity and the life that they're living here on earth for the sake of momentary pleasure and satisfaction that is here for a moment but is gone in a lifetime. God, we look to you. We look to you as the one who gave us purpose and gave us meaning and showed us the light. You brought us into the light out of darkness. You brought us, Lord, out of a place of desperation, of being so desperate for hope, and you gave it to us. You gave us peace. You gave us joy. You gave us the things that we carry with us, even through seasons of suffering in our lives. You brought us into a season. You brought us into a relationship, not a religious system. You brought us into a relationship with you, God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to you boldly, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. We come barging into your office, Lord, seeking answers from you, seeking you to move in specific spaces in our life, in the lives of people that we love. God, just as Paul prayed and and consistently encouraged the church in Thessalonica to do, to pray for that boldness, to pray for the gospel to spread across the nation and around the world. So we pray for that as well. God, we come into your office. We come up to you. Not because we've earned the right to do that, but because, Jesus, you did the work on the cross and from the grave, and you enable us to do it right here, right now. And we come to you and we ask you for specific names. We ask you for specific people in our lives that we love. Right now, across our campus, across our room this morning, There are faces that we see as we pray to you. Names, sons and daughters, close friends, people that we see in school, teachers, colleagues, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, people both here locally, people around the country, people around the world that mean a whole lot to us. We've cried out to you for a long time for some of these names and for some of these people, some of which were coming to you for the very first time. What we're asking you to do, Lord, is to soften their hearts. They have so many worries and cares and things they carry with them, so much pride, just as we have. We carried with us until you broke us. And you showed us, Lord, who we were. You gave us a vision for who you are. And we embraced you as Savior and Lord, many in this room did. We pray that same brokenness, that same place of brokenness in the lives of so many. We pray that you'd save them. God, we pray that you would save the lost in our communities. Would you find us this morning, Lord, praying right here in the center of this town. We represent the light. 
within a stone's throw of where we're sitting, there are people broken. There are marriages hurting. There are families falling apart. There are people on drugs. There are people addicted to alcohol. There are secret sins in the lives of people that no one wants to talk about. And we pray for a sweeping move of your Holy Spirit across this town. The sweeping move of your Holy Spirit across our schools. The sweeping move of your Holy Spirit across this county. For if there is a county in Texas that needs you, it is this. We need you desperately. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of your Holy Spirit moving in us and through us as your army, as your representatives, both to pray and to go and to love the people in our community, to love the people of our schools, to love the families that, Lord, you've given us in our Jerusalem. God, make us into a praying church. Not 21 days of prayer and fasting, God, that you would make it to where we understand what the word of God says, your word says, to pray without ceasing. Every movement that we see in the scriptures began with prayer. Every great thing you do and have done in the word of God, especially here in the New Testament, on this side of your son coming to save us began when your people turned their faces away from the things around them and they turned their faces towards you. And so this morning we come to you and we pray. We ask you to turn our hearts and our faces towards you. We ask God for you to move with power among us to make us into a church that seeks your face regularly, daily, in all that we do. God, if you don't move, it's not going to happen. The things we pray for. And so, Lord, we come to you and we lay these things before you. Thank you for the 21 days that we have started this year of praying and fasting together. May you continue that work among us, both in our Bible study classes, in our small groups, in our individual lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our individual, Lord, families, God, that you would move and work among us. And so, Lord, turn our attention away from cell phones Turn our attention away from cell phones. Turn our attention towards you. Remove the distractions. Turn our hearts towards your word. We want you to be the loudest voice in our hearts and in our minds this morning. We love you, Lord. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said what? Amen. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles this morning. How about that? And open with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to get back on track, right? The book of Philippians. You got to love that. You can't make that up. That's not the first time stuff like that's happened to me. 
And by the way, it probably wasn't by accident. Hey, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at what it means for Jesus Christ to be our treasure. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. And uh, as we do, um, we're going to look at a very important passage. And I love the music that we sang this morning. It ties right into what we're looking at today and um, what God's Word wants to say to us. I think oftentimes as we're thinking about life, what we tend to value, um, oftentimes becomes what we treasure, what we value the most, what we think about the most, what we pursue the most in our life. Things like health, good health, things like my company that maybe I've built. Um, Maybe it's the money that I inherit or the possessions that I inherit become things that are oftentimes my treasure. I think sometimes the money and the possessions that I earn, maybe it's the money and the possessions that you give away even sometimes become your treasure. It can be. Just because you give money away doesn't mean that it's not something that you most value in life. Sometimes we, we look to patting ourselves on the back for our generosity. We pat ourselves on the back for our benevolence in every way. Sometimes it is our kids, our grandkids that we look to for our treasure, things we enjoy. Maybe it's our background, our experience, our life experiences that we bring. Things that become treasures in our life, things that we value the most can become treasures in our life. They give us security. They give us confidence. They give us a lot of confidence in ourselves. They give us a lot of confidence in in our ability to remain secure. We love the things that we have around us, the things maybe that God puts in front of us. And sometimes those things can become more important in our lives than than the Lord himself. I think this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 3. He's writing here to the church in Philippi. He writes these words, and I want to begin in reading in verse 1. I want you to look with me there in verse 1. And this is what Paul says. We're going to focus on verses 4 through Uh, 11 there in the text but look with me at verse 1 he says finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh look at what he says in verse 3 for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh which then launches Paul into this personal testimony. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews, as the law, a Pharisee, as the zeal, as to zeal, a persecutor to the church, of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Oh, that I may know him, Paul says, and the power of his resurrection. Sound familiar? And may 
share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a powerful statement Paul makes. You know, what a reminder. The treasures that we seek in life. Reminder that the choices that we have, we're a reminder that we come to every day a cross point in the road, a fork in the road, if you will, of what we're going to pursue. What are we going to seek? Because we have all of this time and we have all of this money and we have all of these homes and we have all of the health that we have, good, bad, or ugly. We have the families that we are raising and the grandkids maybe that we look to and we're proud of. We have the businesses that we have built. We have the money that we've inherited. We have the money we're giving away and that we're being benevolent with. We have all of these things and we have the choice to make as to whether Jesus Christ is going to be first and foremost of what I pursue in life or it's those things that provide that sense of security, that sense of boastfulness, that sense of confidence that Paul speaks of here. Paul would argue a false confidence. Paul would argue a, argue a false security because he's going to look to his own and he's going to contrast that with the things that God puts in front of us in our lives. But here's what Paul says, and this is what God says to us this morning. If we take away what God wants us to understand out of this text, we understand that Jesus wants to be your treasure. He wants to be the one thing in your life that is most important not as a cliche, not as a bumper sticker, not as a sign that you put in your kitchen. He wants to be the most important thing in your life. But here is a secondary statement to that. Because what we treasure in our lives is determined by what we're willing to give up to gain it. You see, what you treasure in your life is determined by what you're willing to give up. What I'm willing to give up to gain that very thing. That becomes the treasure that God puts before us. And that is what the Apostle Paul here is saying. You see, Paul has already been warning in the first three verses here, and we looked at it and unpacked it last week. He unpacks this idea of what he's doing here. He's warning them of false teachers. There were this group called Judaizers in the church that elevated self over Christ alone. They elevated themselves and over their religious activity and the boxes they were checking in the area of circumcision in particular in these first three verses. They're saying, hey, if you become a Christian and you're a Gentile, you're a non-Jew, then you've got to go get circumcised. You've got to go follow the Mosaic law. You've got to go follow the rituals of the Mosaic law, and then you can believe in Jesus, and then you can be saved. And Jesus says no. God says no. Paul says no. He says, listen, every, everything that we count towards ourselves, everything that we add to the work, the already work and finished work on the cross and from the grave— is not counted towards us as righteousness. It is not counted towards us as to something that enables us to be saved from our sin and death. No, the work of the cross is enough. That's what he's saying. He's saying the work that Jesus Christ did is enough. End of story. Righteousness doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your religious activity. It doesn't come from your benevolence. It doesn't come from all of the things that give us this false sense of security in our life. It comes from Christ alone. That's what Paul's been saying in the first three verses, which then launches him into this personal testimony. And he says, listen, let me tell you something, Paul says, Jesus is my treasure. If anybody's got a, a reason to have confidence in the stuff that I've done or that you've done, it's me. I outdo you. I have a stronger spiritual resume than you, the apostle Paul is saying. 
He's saying here to the church, there's nothing you can do in your life, nothing that you can build up in your life, nothing that you can accomplish and build up around you in your life or that something happens in your life that builds up around you that maybe you earned or you didn't earn, you inherited, that can take the place of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Oh, it's a powerful statement, and we're going to unpack it again this morning and look at it. You see, when Jesus is your treasure in life, and this is what Paul is going to say about his life and about himself, there's going to be some changes that are going to happen in your heart. There's going to be some big movements that are going to take place in your life. When Jesus Christ is your treasure, when he's my treasure, Paul says, hey, listen, these things happened to me, and I want to show you those things this morning. But Paul says, listen, these things have happened to me, and, and, and they can happen to you. They should happen to you when Jesus Christ is number one. He is your treasure in life. So look at the text with me this morning. You see, when Jesus is your treasure, number one, you will gain a proper perspective of your spiritual accomplishments. Spiritual accomplishments are not bad, but you'll gain a proper perspective of them. Oh, before Christ, what do we do? We list off all of the things that we are, how good we are, comparison to the person down the street or the person I see across town. Or my best friend who cheated on his wife, I say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. You see, we begin to compare ourselves to other people, right? And we begin to say we're trying to build our spiritual resume. We're trying to tell ourselves we're better than the guy down the street. So therefore, God is somehow, some way going to look the other way of my personal sin in my life. No, what Paul says is this, when he looks to himself, he says here, look at verse 3 with me. He says, listen, this is what the people of God are. He says, listen, we are the circumcision, we who worship the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That word triggers something in Paul's mind in verse 3, word confidence. Do you see it? And see, so put no confidence in the flesh. And then that triggers Paul into saying, hey, listen, listen, look at me. Though I myself have reason for confidence. And he's going to go in and he's going to unpack and he's going to say, hey, look at me. He's going to say seven, there are seven spiritual accomplishments here that Paul says that he defines. Privileges that are inherited. He says achievements that are earned. Four privileges that are inherited. And then he's going to say three achievements that are earned. Look with me at verse five. Circumcised on the eighth day. He's going to say, I'm no Gentile. He's saying, listen, I'm no Gentile. I don't have to go through that according to what the Judaizers say. No, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Jew of the Jews. I've been there. I've got a better circumcision. Look at what, is, what else he says there in verse five. He says, of the people of Israel, I am of pure lineage. My bloodline goes all the way back to Abraham. Hey, listen, look at me. I have pure lineage in verse five. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's going to say of the, pe the tribe of Gen Benjamin, not just any tribe, but the tribe of Rachel's son, a, a Davidic line of an important tribe. He's going to say, fourthly, when it comes to his privileges inherited, this is not something he's done. This is something he was born into. He's going to say there in verse five, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's going to say there, listen, I'm culturally and I'm educationally more superior than in people around me. I am set apart educationally and culturally. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, that's what I've been born into. 
Those are things that I didn't work for. Those are privileges that were inherited, that I inherited. But then he's going to go in and say, listen, these are achievements I've done in my life. Look, he's not done. And he's going to say there in verse 5 and in verse 6, he's going to say, um, as to the law, he's a Pharisee. Oh, he went further. He wasn't just born into this thing. He became Jewish, a, a Jewish elite. He focused, a, a, a Pharisee focused on, on knowing the law and applying it to life. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Look at verse 6. As to zeal, this is what he's done in his life. He was devoted to stomping out Christianity in every respect before he meets Christ. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was the one who would get the medal. He would be the one that in the circles among the Pharisees would be elevated. And look at the Apostle Paul. Look at this man who is Saul. Look at this man who is stomping out Christianity. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. He was busy. He was adamant about stomping out Christianity before he meets Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 again with me. Or verse 6. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He is not just someone who tries to follow the law. He is morally superior than people around him. Things that he has earned, things that he has done. And what is the Apostle Paul's point? Well, his point is that if you lined up your resume, if the Philippians lined up their spiritual resume with the Apostle Paul, he beats them at every moment, at every place. He's not doing this to elevate himself. He's doing it to show that none of it matters. He's elevating these things in his life to say, if if, if this is the litmus test for righteousness, if this is the litmus test for how someone can be saved, how someone can know God in a personal level, I beat everybody. That's what his point is. The Judaizers said that rituals and ceremonies and all of the things were what made you righteous. But that's not what Paul says. Paul had a different perspective about the things in his life. Paul had a different perspective about the things that he had accomplished, the things that he had inherited in his life. Ever wonder why we automatically turn to ourselves when thinking about God and righteousness? Ever wonder why our default is to turn to ourselves? We say, well, I try to be good enough, or I try to be good enough and better than the God down the street. We turn to ourself. We turn to ourself to begin justifying the decisions that we make in our life. I remember in college, my third year in college, God began to move and stir in my heart because I knew I was a Christian and I knew I was outside of the will of God. And what I began to do in my college years is started out trying to find a church. And then I started going to all of these different churches and I couldn't find the church that, that I, I really wanted to be with and in. And I was alone. I was single. I didn't have any Christian friends around me, Christian guys moving in on me, holding me accountable. I was on my own and and begin, what I began to do was I began to spiritually drift to the point where I started justifying myself and saying, well, I'm not like that person. I don't go to that situation. I'm not putting myself in that particular place. I'm not like this. I'm good enough. And I began to, to, to justify, even as a Christian, how I was morally better and superior than the person down the street. And I found myself staying out till all night long in places that I shouldn't be and, and waking up on a Sunday morning too tired to go to church. And, and, and then in the afternoon, maybe, maybe getting my Bible out and a devotional book out and thinking that if I spent just maybe five or 10 or 15 minutes with God, that God was somehow good and, and he was okay with that. 
and I had no understanding what I was doing because what I was doing in my mind and in my life is I was elevating my spiritual resume even as a Christian, thinking that somehow, some way, that was okay with God. And I was comparing my spiritual resume with my roommate down the hallway who was not a follower of Jesus Christ, or my roommate in the other apartment next door who was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I was saying to myself, at least I'm not like those guys. We do this all the time in our lives. Well, I, I gave more money than that person, or, or you, you don't know how much money I did here, or I did this, or I did that, or I did this. And what we tend to do is we elevate our spiritual resume over the work of God. It becomes a source of pride in our life. Maybe you've been a part of a religious tradition. Maybe you've gone to a church that fed you a checklist that said, if you will just check this box, this box, this box, this box, this box, you'll go to heaven. Maybe you've bought into that. Oh, I want to tell you this morning that that's not the truth. What I'll tell you is this, that righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ alone. We have faith in Jesus Christ. That righteousness is applied to our lives. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. It just comes into our life. It's applied to us. When Jesus becomes your treasure, your perspective changes from you to him. You begin to compare yourself not to the roommate next door, not to the man down the street, not to the man on drugs across town, but you compare yourself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you begin to compare yourself to him and who you are, and the perspective changes from you to him. Which is where Paul goes next. Look at verse 7. Because you see, when Jesus Christ becomes your personal or your treasure, your perspective on your spiritual accomplishments change, but there will be an spiritual exchange, listen, in what you value, in what you value and what I value. Verse 7, Paul says this, what an anthem of his own life. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost or loss for the sake of Christ. Paul saw that what he valued the most was in that gains column. What's he describing here? Well, if you own a small business or you're an accountant, you'll pick up on these accounting terms that he's using, gains and losses. Small businesses, if you run a small business or if you've run a small business, you understand that there are going to be small gains. There are going to be small or long, or, sorry, there are going to be short-term gains sometimes. There are going to be long-term gains. There are going to be capital gains. You're going to be taxed on a little bit differently, right? There are all these different things that are there. And what he's describing is this. He's describing his life in terms of a ledger. And he says, listen, my life is like this. It's a ledger. On one side, there is gains. On the other side, there are losses. And we understand that the word gains means profit to a small business owner. You understand those terms and that terminology. But he says this. What Paul had done in verse 7 and what he had done in his own life before verse 7, he's just describing it in verse 7. But in his own heart and in his own life, he had taken all of those privileges, all of those achievements that he once had in the gains column, and he moves them over to the losses column. He begins to understand that when he meets Jesus Christ for the first time, and he's confronted with the truth of the gospel for the very first time, there is this spiritual exchange that takes place in what he values the most. 
And what he valued the most is not that he was a Pharisee. And what he valued the most was not that he was a, a Jew of Jews. And he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And he, he had done this, and he had done that, and he had inherited this, and he inherited that. He moves them from the gains column that he thought made him righteous. And he thought led him to this place of peace, and this place of hope, and this place of contentment, and this place of thinking that he had found the answers to life. And he realizes it's all lost. And he takes those things and he moves them over into the losses column. And he takes the, the, the understanding of who Jesus Christ, the profits that he gains in Christ, and he moves them over to the gains column. And what an spiritual exchange that he has upon his life. By the way, every student in the high schools and the junior highs and elementary schools don't understand this, and they need to understand it. They're living their lives for something that is false, Every person in our community that does not and has not found Christ yet in their life is buying into a dream that is leading them to hell. And they need to understand that the answers to life are not found in what the culture gives us, what the world promises us. They're found in Christ. And only in the work of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I was, had a few minutes to burn, so I stopped into a coffee shop. This was a few years ago. I wasn't in Livingston yet. And I'll never forget the scene. I'll never forget kind of the encounter. I sat down. I had about 15 or 20 minutes. I had a notepad, and so I sat down. I was thinking through a text I was going to preach or teach or something. I don't even remember now. But I was just writing, jotting down some notes as I was drinking a cup of coffee. And there were three older gentlemen, probably in their 70s or 80s, sitting about a table or two away from me. And no one was really talking. They were just drinking coffee. And then all of a sudden, a man walks into the coffee shop. He walks up to the table, and he's really loud. He's one of those kind of loud friends. And he's just talking really loud. And he had been somewhere with, with some other men. And maybe he was at the gym or something. I don't even know what he was doing or where he was, but... I remember the story well because, of course, I couldn't help but eavesdrop. I'm sitting at the table, and all of a sudden, this man who was very loud in nature walks up to, here we go again, loud in nature walks up to the three. And as the three are sitting there, I could tell that once the man started to speak, the three came off as, and they came off as Christians. They were talking about God. They were talking about Jesus after the man started to talk and as he walked up. The reason they started to talk about Jesus was the man walks up and he says to him, to all three of them, he starts venting and complaining about how he had just been with one of his preachy friends. His preachy friend began telling him about this true path, as he said with his fingers like this, this true path to heaven. And he started telling these three men about his preachy friend and complaining about his preaching friend to the point where he began to say to them, listen, I've been good to my fellow man. And he started telling them all about how he had volunteered in the, the fire department. He had volunteered down at the mission. He had volunteered to give food out to people who were poor in the community. He had given money and this and that. And how he had been so good to his fellow man. And he was tired of his preachy friend telling about the true path to go to heaven. Listen, there are many like that. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Man was a good moral man compared to most and many in that community in that particular day. He had tremendous gains in his life, but they were worthless to save him. 
You see, when Jesus becomes your treasure, when he becomes my treasure, there is going to be an exchange. There's going to be a change in our life. There's going to be a movement in our life to our gains and moving those gains to losses. When Jesus becomes your treasure, you lose confidence in the gains that you believe are gains. And what you begin to value will change. So there will be a spiritual transaction, gains and losses. But you'll also, before you even get to that point, have to count the cost. Which is why here in Luke chapter 11, or Luke chapter 14, there's a great passage of scripture that Jesus is trying to convey this to us. You can just hold your place there, listen to what it says. You can look at it on the screens above my head. But there in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, this is what Jesus is teaching. Now a great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all we who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great while off or way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is trying to say. He's not saying go out here and hate your parents and say go home and say, hey, hey, mom, dad, I hate you. I love Jesus. He's not saying to you turn to your left or to your right and say I hate you as a spouse. That's not his point. What Jesus' point is, is he's saying the love that we have for our family members, the love that we have for our, 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 our businesses, we love what we have, the things that we are passionate, that give us security and give us confidence, whether it's our health or whether it's the security system or, or, or in our lives like our homes and our 401ks and all of the things that we've built and structured around our life. If those things are what we love more than Jesus Christ, then our priorities are wrong. It should feel, Jesus Christ says, it should feel like you're hating someone when you say, I love Jesus Christ more than I love you, child. I love Jesus Christ more than I love you, husband or wife of 40 or 50 years. It should feel that way. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying go hate your parents and go hate your, your, your spouses and but what he is saying is that there is going to be an exchange in your life and you have to count that cost. They are not equal. Your children and your spouse are not equal to Jesus Christ in your life. And what the word of God says becomes priority over what your spouse of 50 years, what your children of whom you would die for would say. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. There's a counting of the cost. Everything in life goes through and into the lost column, Jesus says. Paul says, listen, this is where I'm at. This is what I've come to in my life. Jesus Christ is alone. He becomes what you value the greatest in your life. You've count the cost. What you treasure in life is going to be determined by what you're willing to give up to gain it. What you're willing to give up to gain it. 
which leads Paul right here in these last few verses to to amplify what he says in verse 7. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's reason, whole reason for counting the cost in verse 7 is he saw a greater value. He saw something that was more important, more valuable in his life than the things around him, than his reputation, than the things that he had earned, than the things that he had received. He saw, he saw something that was of greater value. He saw the privileges and the achievements in terms of rubbish there in verse 8. What a strong word. But this is how he saw those things. He saw what he gained as priceless, surpassing worth, he says. Nine times here in these last few verses, Jesus Christ, is, his name is used nine times right here in these last few verses. His point is that he wants you to understand that what Paul's life is all about is Christ. What Paul's life is all about is Jesus. It's not his accomplishments. It's not his achievements. It's not his privileges. What he gained in Christ was priceless. When that happens, notice what Paul says about his own life. You will know Christ. I'm not talking about knowing about him. There isn't a person or a soul that walked into this room this morning who has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. There are people in America who haven't heard of him, believe it or not. But there are people, not every, every single person and soul in this room has heard of Jesus Christ. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you've heard about him. He's not saying that you've heard his name. He's saying that he would know you as Lord and Savior. Oh, Jesus describes it this way in a, the personal and temporary relationship, rather, that we have with him. In John chapter 7, verse, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All the voices in your life, all the distractions, all the people, all the inner voices telling you what to do, and there's only one voice that matters, is Jesus. It's the Lord speaking into our life. That's what it means to know Christ. Paul goes on to talk about what he's gained. He says to know Christ, but he also says to gain Christ. Oh, he looked at what he thought would make him righteous, and he'd move them to the other column. He says, no, I've gained Christ. Look at else what he says, not only to know Christ, to, to gain Christ, but to be found in him. To be spiritually united with Jesus means you're going to be found, not going to be found guilty of sin. It's no longer a stain upon your life. It's no longer a past in which has been carried with you into the rest of your life. You've left it at the foot of the cross and you don't carry it into eternity. Look at what he says in verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Having suffered the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish. Listen, if you're gonna suffer and share in the sufferings of Christ, you know what the pathway to sharing in the sufferings of Christ is? It's living like him. It's thinking like him. It's speaking like him. Satan leaves you alone if you just acknowledge Jesus. 
It's when you choose to step out and start living like Jesus. It's when you step out and start speaking on behalf of Jesus. That's when it gets a little weird in the room. You know what I mean? It gets a little weird in the relationship. You feel the butterflies coming in. You feel all of a sudden these weird non-physical walls starting to come up and barriers. Is That's where the spiritual warfare is taking place. That's where the tension is. Paul experienced the tension. Is if Paul just walked around and said, yeah, I used to be a Pharisee, but I'm a Christian now. And just stood there, lived his life, made his tents. Nothing would have happened to him. But he chose to speak into spaces that he was not invited to speak into sometimes. He chose to have personal and sometimes controversial conversations in a loving way with people. He was rejected the vast majority of the time. But oh, how the Spirit flowed through him. And how God did a work to plant churches to see people saved. And how the kingdom of God grew in the ends of the earth as Paul took the gospel from place to place and town to town. Oh, to be found in him, that's what God wants us to be, is to be found in him, to share in his sufferings, to gain Christ, to know Christ. This is the pathway of what God, what pleases the heart of God. Why is that so important? Because with Jesus, we gain righteousness. We gain it. How? By faith. You see it there. Verse 9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Righteousness is applied to our life when we exercise faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is what people need to hear. This is what people need to know. This is what people need to see. To treasure Christ is to know Christ, to be found in him, to have that kind of righteousness that only comes through faith. But in the end, the gain outweighs the cost. There will be cost. But the gain outweighs the cost. Have that proper perspective, that spiritual exchange. Listen, church, when we treasure, what we treasure, rather, is determined by what we're willing to give up to gain it. There is a story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13 about a field and a treasure. You've heard it before. I'll read it for us this morning. Maybe you've never heard it. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God, and he's saying this, and it says, beginning in verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he what? He sells half of what he owns. He, he takes about 10 or 20% of what he has, and he, he takes a, and makes a nice little investment that he hopes he's going to get a return on. No, what does it say? Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. He didn't care what he has. He doesn't care about his achievements. He doesn't care about his inheritance. He doesn't care what mom and daddy handed down to him. He takes it all, puts it on the chopping block, sells it off on Facebook Marketplace in our day and age, and he's gone. Then he takes all that money, and he goes and he buys that field. Why? Because he recognizes that what he's about to gain, oh, is going to outweigh all the things that he just lost. 
all the physical attachments, all the spiritual attachments, all of these things. Jesus says again in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in a search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. What's his point? I think his point is it's describing what it is to know him, what it is to know Jesus, what it, is to, what it is that we count as righteousness. Is Jesus your treasure? If you're like me, I was a Christian, and I struggled with this point in that season of life. Because Jesus was my Savior and my Lord, but you know what? It wasn't that I wasn't just living for him. It was that he wasn't my treasure in that moment, in that space, in that season I found myself in. Oh, in my young 20s, I was chasing all kinds of other things. I was elevating all of these things to the same level of importance in my life to Jesus. But in the end, I was missing him. But he came so gracious and merciful to me, and he broke my heart. And he reminded me of that field and he reminded me of himself, that treasure. I don't know where you are in your life. If you're a Christian, maybe God wants you to just evaluate your own heart, what it is that you're valuing, what it is that your, your treasure is. Your treasure is going to show up in your heart. It's going to show up in your decision-making. It's going to show up in, in the private. It's going to show up in the public. It's going to show up when you're tested the most in your life. It's going to show up in things like how you spend your time. It's going to show up in your bank account. Oh, it's going to show up in all areas and aspects of your life. It's just going to show up in what you're willing to commit your life to. Why? Because God wants to be your treasure. Christ wants to be your treasure. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As we come to a time of response, it's simple. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, Oh, he loves you. Maybe it is that God is speaking to you about just surrendering that area of your life to him that he's not had a lot of access to, limited access to for a long time. Maybe that room in your heart, that room in your life, that relationship, that season of life you find yourself in, let God be, have complete and full access to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to come to him. So we're going to have a time this morning where we respond to him and sing. We're going to worship the Lord. God wants us to come to him. So if you're lost this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, he wants you to, by faith, believe in him. That's what he wants. That's the next step for you. By faith, believe in Jesus Christ and surrender your life over to him. If you're a Christian, maybe God's speaking to you about surrendering something over to him, confessing sin to him, doing that self-evaluation. Oh, the Lord wants that for you, just as he has and consistently does in me. So I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and you have the courage to come. There'll be some folks down here to pray with you. If you want to come and pray, you want to give your life to Jesus, we'll be here at the front and let's sing and worship him. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you instruct and guide our steps through it. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are our treasure this morning. You are the one we seek. And we give our time to you now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us and let's sing.
can be seated this morning. Um, a couple quick things before we leave today, a couple announcements that I want to just mention this morning. First of all, don't forget a week from today, we have our next members meeting next Sunday night, and uh, we'll be having prior to that a meal, and uh, we want to encourage you to come. It's going to be a nice little fellowship time together as we uh, just get together and have um, time of fellowship and enjoy each other's company, but also have an opportunity to do a little business in the church. So we vote on members, we talk about uh, other things going on in the life of our church, and so we we want to encourage you to be at that next Sunday evening. It'll be over in the, uh, the family center. Also, I want to um, mention, or first of all, I want to thank y'all, those of you who came to our impact on the road yesterday. I forgot to mention it earlier in the service. We had over 20 of you who were teachers and, and individuals leading an adult ministry yesterday. It was a fun morning. It lasted all morning here at the church, and it was a good time and a fun time together. So um, uh, thank you for being a part of that and taking place uh, taking part in that event. We have this coming Tuesday, we have an event that's going on um, right here at the church. You can meet over in the Brick House. Um, we've got a group going out to visit folks in our community, folks that um, are homebound. And um, if you want to be a part of that, we want to encourage you to take place or take part in that. That'll be at 930 over at the Brick House. Just show up and then there'll be some visitation that are going on out there, and we'll, uh, we'll take part in that. All right, real quick before I get to uh, our giving, and we're going to give before we leave today. 
Listen, I want to announce, uh, last Sunday I announced that Francie's going to be stepping in as our part-time children's director, and this morning I have another quick announcement about someone who's going to be stepping in joining our staff, stepping in and joining our staff. You know, as a church, you know, there are um, uh, big things going on in the life of our church from a facility standpoint when it comes to carrying the weight of overseeing our campus, facilities, our financial office, our business office. There are lots of big things that have to happen in the life of a church our size. And so uh, over the last year, God's been kind of leading me, leading us um, to, um, to an individual who I think would, would be good, his skill set, his background, all of his life experiences, uh, to step into that role part-time. It's going to be a big help to me. It's going to be a big help to our church. And so I want to introduce to you Ben Ogletree. So I want you to stand up, Ben. Ben's going to be joining our staff here part-time. He's still going to be running his company, so that's that. But Ben is one of our small business owners in our area. Y'all know Ben, who has been here all of his life. He's multiple generation in our church. But also, um, uh, God's been, and I really believe that God's been raising him up for this season and in the life of our church. And I'm excited to, be a, to see him step into that role. He's going to be doing that part-time here at our church a few hours a week um, and taking on some big projects and working alongside myself and, and others to, uh, to take care of some big things. So um, he's so trusted, and uh, y'all know him, those of you who are in a part of our church. But the reason I introduced him this morning, I know that sounds weird to y'all who are part of our church, but there are those in our church who don't know Ben. And you've joined our church maybe in the last year, the last couple years, and you don't know exactly who he is. And so he stands out there at the door every Sunday, but uh, Ben will be stepping in as our business administrator, our church administrator here at our church. And he'll be there in a part-time capacity. So I'm excited about that, all right? And with that said, we're going to give this morning our tithes and our offerings before we leave today. And so as you leave, uh, you can drop those off in the boxes as you leave. But also you can give online and you can give to, uh, to our church by dropping it off. Well, we got some buzzes going on in our service today. Tornadoes, I know, I know. The storm's out there. Let's stand and let's have a quick word of prayer. And then we'll, uh, we'll be dismissed to our Bible study classes and, and where God leads us next, okay? God, we thank you this morning for um, the time we've had in your service in, their, in our time of worship. Thank you for those who are here. Thank you, Father, for how you have been uh, moving and, and guiding us and instructing us, God. We pray that you'd bless our tithes and our offerings this morning as we give to the work that you're doing here, both locally and